We see that in our prison population with men and women with intellectual and cognitive disabilities, with very severe and ongoing mental health problems, with issues with self-harm and suicidal ideation. Prisons are warehouses for these very people. Sending people with those complex problems to prison does not make those complex problems go away. Today, we're talking with Dr. Julianne Tui from the School of Social Sciences at the University of Adelaide. Her passion lies in Australian prison reform, and she is on a mission. If we're going to change the system, we actually have to start in the communities from which these people come. I would love to see this really uh, seismic shift in thinking that looks at our prisoners as human beings rather than as criminals. Hi, I'm Professor Andy Lowe, and today we'll be going under the hood of the criminal justice system in Australia. With over 45% of prisoners reoffending at a cost of more than $5 billion per year to the Australian taxpayer, it's clear our jails are failing. This needs to change. But how do we move from a system that doesn't work to one that positively impacts the lives of prisoners? This is the Discovery Pod. Julie, welcome to the Discovery Pod. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. You're a lecturer in criminology and kind of an expert on the criminal system and maybe what we can do better (laughs) with the criminal system, particularly around issues of rehabilitation. So maybe let's let's start the conversation there. So first up, just to clarify, I, (laughs) I don't actually view myself as an expert as such, but I do understand the need for rehabilitation and why that model should assume more prominence in our criminal justice system. So what we're looking at doing through rehabilitation is encouraging people to participate when they're in prison to make their lives a little more productive through programs that help with things that cause them to offend in the first place, stuff like addictive behaviours, drugs, alcohol, anger management, parenting programs, vocational skills, numeracy, literacy, because for many of these people that occupy our prison cells, they actually have never had the opportunity to do that. And while people may say, well, there's lots of people in society that haven't had that opportunity and who don't offend, and yes, that's very true. But if we do have the current prison population which overwhelmingly consists of young men who are unemployed, quite often Indigenous, uh, low socioeconomic and educational backgrounds, then it would seem a sensible thing to do to provide them with skills that when they go out into the community, they can be a productive member of our society. So what is rehabilitation? I mean, we've talked about that term, but what, what, what actually is it? What, what, what does it mean? What, what do you get into? With well, that? part of the issue with rehabilitation is that quite often you're working with people who actually haven't been habilitated in the first place. They've never known social inclusion, social acceptance. We see that in our prison population with men and women with intellectual and cognitive disabilities, with very severe and ongoing mental health problems with issues with self-harm and suicidal ideation. Prisons are warehouses for these very people. Sending people 
with those complex problems to prison does not make those complex problems go away. We are spending billions of dollars building more prisons, but we're not reducing crime. Getting out of jail is described by most of the people that we work with as much tougher than the experience of imprisonment itself. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders represent 2% of Australia's entire population, while making up 28% of the country's full-time prison population. 55% of prisoners return to jail within two years. That's a terrible statistic. There's been Productivity Commission reports after Productivity Commission reports into whether or not we need to go down the path of more rehabilitation. What I'm committed to doing is moving away from the rhetoric of rackham, packham and stackham and moving towards more about focusing on rehabilitation so we've got less victims and less people offending. What we need within our prisons is assistance to actually help those people and also we're looking to have somebody exit prison and A, not come back to prison again, and B, be able to make a life for themselves as a productive community member when they get out there. So there's just, to me, a common sense approach that if we're going to provide these skills to people, it's an argument I've used several times, is essentially, who do you want living next to your mother or your grandmother when they come out? Do you want somebody who's more been out of shape than when they went in? Or do you want somebody who has acquired some level of social, vocational, educational skills that they can contribute in a meaningful way when they come out? The other aspect with rehabilitation is just the humanitarian side as well. Prisons are punitive. There's no question about it. But prisons are the punishment. You don't go to prison for more punishment. We need to use that time, much as I bore the use of prisons, if people are going to be there, we need to use that time in the most productive way possible to help them not re-offend. So rehabilitation, it's not a mantra that you will hear from many politicians. They don't win votes on a platform of rehabilitation because of the fact that there's an overwhelming push within society to toughen up on crime, to incarcerate more people, to solve the problem of crime without a holistic overview of why that particular viewpoint is going to, in the short and long term, be very, very counterproductive for all of us Mm. as community members and in society. And so the current system, uh, you might question whether it is currently working because the reoffending rates are very high, aren't they, here in Australia? Nearly 50%. Nearly 50%. So just running at over 45% at the moment. South Australia actually has the lowest uh, rates of reoffending. So sometimes we use the word recidivism, and that basically means reoffending or returning to prison. And what we see in Australia is this very high rate of over 45% of people will return to prison in less than two years. Mm. Now, that is completely unacceptable. Even from the humanitarian point of view, yes. It is unacceptable. But if we look at it also in purely financial terms, it is such a cost to you and me and everybody who pay taxes. 
the base cost of keeping one person in prison for a year is $110,000. It's more if they're in solitary confinement or in a specialist mental health unit. That increases exponentially. We currently have approximately 42,000 prisoners in Australia. If you do the maths there, we are looking at a lot of money that could be better used in health, education, aged care, so many social justice areas that need to be addressed. And yet our corrections budget is one of the largest budgets apart from defence in in Australia. Um, the bulk of that goes to policing, but we have a lot spent on our prisons, as I indicated, with the cost of keeping just one one person there. So from a financial point of view, I really would rather that those people did not return to prison. And if you think that, you know, out of every hundred, you've got 46 or 47 people who are going to go back there through what we call the revolving door of corrections, then we are spending an obscene amount of money on a problem that's not going away. And, you know, my argument is, as a business model, if you presented that model to any corporation who is business-focused, you would get laughed out of the building because it is just not sustainable. So, financially, it doesn't make sense. We're talking about billions of dollars Mm. uh, going in to support that system. We're not necessarily seeing... Uh, uh, results from that because we're getting the reoffending rate, never mind the humanitarian issues That's around right. locking people up and dealing with people in that way. So we've got a good case to change the system. We what can we do? What, what, what other kind of systems can we actually implement that are going to overcome some of these issues? There are a number of initiatives that can be implemented, but are thus far really failed to gain traction. The first one is justice reinvestment. And look, it's something that sometimes the term gets bandied around a little. What we mean by justice reinvestment is that instead of using the billions of dollars that we spend annually on funding existing prisons, but also creating and building new prisons to lock up essentially the same group of people, bearing in mind that that new prison will be full within three months, instead of spending that money there, let's actually invest in the communities from which those people overwhelmingly come. So we're looking at infrastructure for community resources, for health, for education, for recreation as well, for building community relationships, for giving people a sense of worth and self-value that is so important. We take that for granted. When we sit and talk about these things, I'm sitting here with a sense of self-worth, with a sense of value, because those around me have made me feel that way. And intrinsically, I know that some of what I do may make a difference. And so your actual sense of worth is so, so important. You put somebody in prison, you strip away their family relationships, the bonds with their children, their employment, their links to the community, you take away any aspect of decision-making. They don't decide when they get up, when they go to bed, what they wear, what they eat, when their light goes on, when their light goes off, when they can exercise. Not a single decision. And so they become quite institutionalised and unable to make 
constructive decisions. Mm. And that's part of rehabilitation is helping people to understand what's involved in good decision making. Because let's face it, they're in prison because of an inability to make Good decisions. That's a baseline. There's a host of other reasons why they they end up in prison too. But just teaching them that, you know, you can actually role play in the situation and say, "Here's here's the scenario. Given that, what would you do? And having them think through what would be a good outcome Mm. to produce the best result in that scenario. So there's a wealth of things that can be done. Teaching them life skills, you know, teaching how do you budget? How do you handle economics? Teaching them parenting. You know, don't parent the way that you were parented. If it was violent, if it was cold and harsh, you know what? There's other ways to parent your children. And many of the men in Yatla particularly appreciate the parenting programs. I'm talking about Yatla Prison out on Grand Junction Road because nobody's actually ever taken the time to say, you know, this is what it takes to be a a good dad. Mm. Um, And it's not complicated stuff. And those relationships are really important. Well, it's just a a well-known fact in criminology, sociology and related topics that children in particular are hugely influential when it comes to reducing reoffending. Work that I've done talking to men and women in prison, 100% of those people in the research project said, we do not want this for our children. Hmm. We don't want them 100%. to be doing it. 100%. Yeah. Not one said, gee, can't wait till my kid gets here too. We can yeah. keep each other company. None of them said that. They all want something better for their children. So if you say, well, a starting block for that is that when you exit prison, you actually don't go back so that you are there with your child to guide them to be a part of their lives in a proactive way to be part of their education process and to build a relationship, then you are going a long, long way to dialing back on the horrendous recidivism rates that we currently have in Australia. Mm. So all of that, you know, connections with pro-social people, pro-social family members, children, all hugely important part of the overarching concept of rehabilitation. So justice overhaul is not just a case of making a few minor tweaks to the system. It's about breaking the cycle of reoffence and social disadvantage. That's no small feat. And it's hard to figure out where to start. Surely there must be a blueprint. One of the models that we frequently turn to as a measure of success is the Scandinavian model and, in particular, Norwegian prisons. Prisoners have keys to their own bedrooms, fully furnished living rooms and kitchens with sharp knives to cook with. There's five-star cooking classes, painting, and they even have a fully equipped recording studio. Norway justifies the expense with the belief it's not about being soft, but about being pragmatic. But if you find a program that works to rehabilitate them, you end up with a person who can reintegrate into society. I think this is a good idea. Now, best job I can do is when I can put a person back to society who are actually being trained to be 
a good member of society. There are 115 inmates on the island and competition for spaces is fierce. You have to apply, you have to show motivation and it doesn't really matter if you're convicted for a minor crime or if you're a murderer. I use the word prisons in the loosest sense of the term here because they are so substantively different to what we are used to here in Australia. So, you know, if you go along Grand Junction Road and you go past Adelaide Women's Prison, you go past Yatla Prison, what you see overwhelmingly is the sun glinting off the razor wire. That's that's your first impression, yeah. that it's a very hostile, threatening environment. And yeah. in fact, that's why it's built that way. And, you know, I can say quite honestly that it feels that way to me going in there either as a volunteer or as a researcher you feel incarcerated for the time you're there, even though you know that at the end of what you're doing, you can walk out the gate again to your car in the car park. It is still a very threatening atmosphere. And you can imagine, you know, a young girl of 18 going out to Adelaide Women's Prison for the first time because she's been caught using drugs or selling drugs. The overwhelming fear that accompanies that first foray into prison where you're, you're strip searched and yes, you have a psychologist do some sort of assessment with you, but it is a hostile environment mm. that you are entering and very, very frightening for people who have never been there before. So yes, moving to the Norwegian model, mm. they do have a prison that is maximum security for people who have done very bad things. But in general, their general population prisons don't have the razor wire around them. They have custodial officers and the director of the prisons who are all dressed in casual clothes, as are the prisoners themselves. They don't wear the very drab grey tracksuit that the women in our prison here get to wear with Adelaide Women's Prison emblazoned on the back of it. They are treated with respect. And one of the notable things in that system is that when people come in, if they've got skills, for example, if they're an embezzler and obviously have skills in the financial area, <laughs> those skills are capitalised on in terms of teaching economics, maths, mm. associated topics to men and women who have never had the opportunity to learn those those things. So they don't teach them how to embezzle. They do teach them how to add up a column of figures. They do teach them how best to budget, you know, given that when they get out, they might be on benefits of some sort or how we're best going to utilise those benefits so that you don't end up in deficit at the end of the week. Really productive skills. And some of the photos to come out of, you know, prisoners who are actually set up in what is essentially quite a nice office with indoor plants and the computers and so forth. Very, very pleasant. But mentoring other prisoners in that situation. So what the, the big difference is this culture of respect mm. for people. Yes, they have committed a crime. And yes, we are asking you to pay a penalty here. But one, we would like you to make reparation by actually either learning new skills so that you don't do that again, or teaching skills to those who are less advantaged than what you are in terms of education. So there's that holistic kind of atmosphere where people are helping each other. The focus is not so much on the crime that's being committed. They're not being 
judge so much by that. But as they develop, as they change, as they have an attitude of wanting to give back to society. And we don't really teach that Mm. in our prisons. We don't encourage that in our prisons. By and large, our prisoners are quite often made to feel that they are being looked at and judged solely solely on the crime that they committed. They are not looked at as a wife or a mother or a sister or a niece, none of that. And I find this with the women at Adelaide Women's Prison. If they can have this opportunity to just talk to somebody person to person without being judged on the basis of the crime they committed then this is cathartic for them. Mm. And so what we're trying to do is... Because they're accepted as a person. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we all know if we do a day's work, we may have had a crappy day at work, but at the end of the day, you feel still feel that you've contributed to something and so you feel better about yourself. Being in prison, there's not a lot of job opportunities. Some some people are, get accepted into some sort of work program but it can be just very boring there too, just sitting and waiting. So actually giving people a sense of self-worth through various programs where their self-respect and how they view themselves is not based on the crime that they committed, but on a feeling that comes from inside that I am worthy of somebody's love. I am worthy of actually loving myself as well. And, you know, I say to the women at the prison, other people, the the custodial officers, other people that you interact with actually do not have the power to tell you how to think about yourself. Mm. That comes from inside you. And for many of them, that's a completely novel experience. You know, Mm. you bear in mind that over 85% of the women in any women's prison in Australia have come from highly abusive backgrounds. And I do get upset when people say that's not an excuse for criminality. When you hear the stories of some of what has happened to those women, you are just left reeling at the fact that in Australia, you have human beings who treat other human beings in that manner. These women and many men in our prisons have histories of trauma that are just unspeakable. Mm. And that is trebled, quadrupled for our Indigenous prisoners Mm. who are a product of the stolen generation quite often, who have been dispossessed, who have had their cultural identity stripped away, who have been given minimal opportunities, who have had forced removal of their children, We have so much there that needs to be addressed. I mean, the issue of our over-incarceration of Indigenous people is a whole other podcast, and I'm not going to do it the disservice of getting into it now, but I can't not acknowledge it because it is a substantial part of our correctional system. So, yes, we are looking at... It's just a holding tank, essentially, prison for disadvantaged and often traumatised people. And why would you not try and help them make their life better? Mentoring, self-worth, respect and giving our prison population the opportunity to change. These simple ideas seem radical when contrasted with the towering walls, barbed wire and clanging cell doors of the conventional jail. The ideas that Julianne is talking about are important, but can they work? 
Returning to the Norwegian blueprint we discussed earlier, where prisoners can study for qualifications, take yoga classes, watch movies on flat-screen TVs in their cells, and even have access to a recording studio, what evidence is there to suggest that this approach is effective? Well, the proof is in the numbers. Since Norway reformed its justice system in the 1990s, re-offence rates have fallen to only 20% after two years and are still about 25% after five years. When you compare that incredible result with the re-offence rates here in Australia, which can reach nearly 60% in some places, it's time we re-evaluated our approach to crime and punishment. So are we starting to adopt some of those uh, issues here here in Australia? What's, what's is, our progress like? Well, not as fast as I'd like, that's <laughs> for sure. But look, there, there is more knowledge around mm. uh, other systems of incarceration. I think we're very slow to adopt those systems. We're very cautious about changing what has been a long-standing attitude that if you do the crime, you do the time. And that's a really difficult mindset to change. So we're aware of the success of that system. What we have to do is be brave enough to say, how can we implement that over time, it's impractical to say, let's do it, because you really have to have strong political support, institutional support to do that. You have to have the resources in terms of people who can guide the process. It, it's not just a quick fix, but it is something as a long-term goal, I just cannot understand why we're not moving more towards that model given the success on almost every level you can think of for how it works over there. You know, we are a country where we like to give people a go. We're an accepting country. We are very multicultural. And that idea of giving people a go does mm. not actually extend mm. to those who are exiting prisons. So we have organisations that, you know, help them get some sort of accommodation or, or some sort of volunteer work or, or low-paid jobs. But it's very difficult because the number of sympathetic employers who will, I suppose, take a risk, as they see it, in taking people on is far less than the number of people who actually need to obtain those those services. So we're not particularly forgiving when it comes to those who have committed crime. Now, I'm the first to say that there are some crimes which are very difficult to forgive. You know, we, we've got the recent event with the, the stabbing of, of two children by a mother. Who can fathom that? Who can understand why that happened? And you can also understand why people say that needs to be punished. So we do have a range of crimes that are less forgivable. However, no person is actually lost. If you don't make any effort to give that person opportunity to change, then they're actually going to exit prison no different to when they went in and potentially worse, you yeah, know, embittered yeah. by the experience. So, yes, we need a prison for what people loosely term the worst of the worst. Yeah. 
but we just over-incarcerate. We use the prison. I've seen it with the, the work I do with cognitively disabled women. Most of those should not be in prison. But in prison, they get roof over their head, they get some food, they get some health care, so forth. But as one of those women said to me, why do I have to come to prison to get those things? Why could I not have got those things in the community? And I thought, you are actually 100% right. And I really felt quite ashamed that I had this woman with, you know, an IQ of less than 50 pointing out this salient argument that resonated with me and and really did make me feel quite ashamed mm. that that was indeed the case. Yeah. And I mean, you were you were a very experienced researcher in this space. You've uh, been involved in you know criminology and the system for a number of years mm. now. Yes. I guess uh, you've also had the opportunity to see how other systems work internationally and, mm. and bring some of that. So, if we were to have a, an overhaul of the system here, would we just? trying to adopt the uh, the Norwegian system. Is that the one? Or do you think there are some other aspects you'd like to see introduced? We have got prisons, particularly in Western Australia, that um, I think have adopted a good model, especially for Indigenous people, that it is very respectful of cultural heritage and it's not just sort of putting them behind bars like we quite often see. There are pockets where you see good things happening. There's just not enough of those. And they're kind of experiments. The they're almost like an experimentation. Indeed, you might they as well are. and you might as well try some of these new ideas out in, in, in some of these areas. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But putting a person in prison is just such a short-term solution. If we're going to change the system, we actually have to start in the communities from which these people come. Because otherwise, if you can build a fence at the top of the cliff to stop those people falling over in the first place, rather than park an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff to scrape them up when they do, we're going to have far more success. So if we can actually invest in the communities, look at kids who are at risk, look at adults who are at risk, recognise that, and let's put some steps in place to help them. Now, Part of that, having said let's help them, is not a condescending, patting them on the back, listen to us, we've got the answer for you. It's actually engaging with them on a respectful level. Instead of saying, you need to do this, we say, what do you need? What in your eyes at the moment is something that your community needs, not just you personally, but all of those around you, your family. What do you need? Let's ask them that. And what we tend to do is go in boots and all and say, you need this and we're going to put this, this, this and this in place and you should be grateful for it. Mm. And that's not that's not the answer. You know, if it, we see that with our own children, you know, you try and tell them what to do, you get some <laughs> sort <one>. of rebellion <laughs> speaking from bitter experience here. But if you engage them and talk about, well, how do you feel about this? What would your alternative be? What does that look like? What's the practicalities of implementing that? Then you get a far, far better outcome that's humanity. That That's human beings. Being told what to do is never particularly productive. Being invited to contribute to a solution is almost universally productive. So 
I think we need to be doing that, not telling people what they need. I just think that is condescending and arrogant to mm. do it that way. Well, Julie, thanks very much. Thanks very much for uh, taking us through a very difficult but important topic and also, I think, providing us with uh, an opportunity to see a humane way forward to rethink a solution in this space. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I confess I always appreciate an opportunity to talk about something like this because it's not, you know, a particularly sexy topic, I suppose, but to me, it's one that touches all all of us for a number of different reasons. And it, it's a case of we just don't think of it. You know, it's out of sight, out of mind in terms yeah. of prisoners. And unfortunately, with the number of people on short sentences, three to six months, they're going to be out very, very soon. So, you know, let's try and help them not go back in again. And there's so much that can be done. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So, yes, I, I would love to see this really uh, seismic shift in thinking that looks at our prisoners as human beings rather than as criminals. There we go. There's a political challenge. There is a political ever, challenge. If ever I yes. heard one. So <laughs> there's a challenge to the politicians. Let's take uh, this humane approach. Julie, yes. thank you. Thank you. Reform, rehabilitation and reframing our approach to crime in this country. My discussion with Julianne has highlighted the complex and unforgiving nature of our criminal justice system. It's safe to say that if this system is to change, we must see past the prison bars and scrutinise the way we support disadvantaged communities and heal the emotional wounds that lead to re-offence. If you found Dr. Julianne's research on justice systems interesting, you can find out more by following the links to her research in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today on the Discovery Pod. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review, rate us five stars. And while you're at it, why not share this episode with your friends and family? We'll be bringing you new and fascinating insights from the forefront of research and innovation every fortnight. So hit follow now to ensure you never miss an episode. In our next episode, we'll be examining promises and policies that pretend to do their bit for the environment and social justice, but don't. A lot of companies these days, you know, they see that 66% of, of people said they'd actually be prepared to pay more mm. for a sustainable product, yeah. and 73% yeah. of millennials are prepared to pay more. So, you know, that's a sweet prospect for a lot of companies, and so they want to look green. But the question is, are they actually? Professor Melissa Nursey Bray joins the Discovery Pod so you can kickstart your fight against greenwashing. Be sure to listen in. In the meantime, if you have a topic you think we need to explore, you can get in touch with us at podcast at adelaide.edu.au. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Professor Andy Lowe, and you're listening to The Discovery Pod, brought to you by the University of Adelaide. So, what do you want to know next? 